Proverbs chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. He who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is perverse in his ways despises him. In the mouth of a fool is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. Where no ox are, the trough is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of an ox. A faithful witness does not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. A scoffer seeks wisdom and does not find it, but knowledge is easy to him who understands. Go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. Fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is favor. The heart knows its own bitterness, and a stranger does not know, does not share its joy. The house of the wicked will be overthrown, but the tent of the upright will flourish. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Even in laughter the heart may sorrow, and the end of mirth may be grief. The backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. The simple believes every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. A wise man fears and departs from evil, but a fool rages and is self-confident. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly, and a man of wicked intentions is hated. The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. The evil will bow before the good and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. The poor man is hated even by his own neighbor, but the rich has many friends. He who despises his neighbor sins, but he who has mercy on the poor, happy is he. Do they not go astray who devise evil? But mercy and truth belong to those who devise good. In all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. Excuse me. The, verse 24, the crown of the wise is their riches, but the foolishness of fools is folly. A true witness devours souls, but a deceitful witness speaks lies. In the fear of the Lord there is strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. In a multitude of people is a king's honor, but in the lack of people is the downfall of a prince. He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who honors him has mercy on the needy. The wicked is banished in his wickedness, but the righteous has a refuge in his death. Wisdom rests in the heart of him who has understanding, but what is in the heart of fools is made known. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The king's favor is toward a wise servant, but his wrath is against him who causes shame. Let's pray together. Father, as always, we're thankful for your word. Where would we be if we didn't have it to turn to? You've thought of everything in what you have revealed to us, Lord. We're so grateful we could spend the rest of our lives and never fully um, know and mine and discover the depths of your amazing eternal word. And so now we ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us, 
that he would make application of these verses to us. Lord, we're listening to you. We have hearts that are open for you to speak to. Speak to your servants this morning. Help us not to just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, that you would make us more mature as your disciples as a result of this time. We ask you to set it aside for your holy use. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, we're getting close to being halfway done with the book of Proverbs. It's hard to imagine that we're, we've come this far. Um, and just it's so amazing just to be able to think all the different themes that we've seen. Just as a reminder, these Proverbs are 3,000 years old around that. Just think about that. And people say the Bible is not relevant for today. <laughs> That's funny. Because it's very relevant for today. Just think if everybody lived according to the Proverbs. Just that alone. To say nothing of the Gospels or the rest of the New Testament or the other parts of the Bible and all of that. It's unbelievable what is there. And we've seen these reoccurring themes of of laziness and hard work and prosperity and the wicked and the righteous and the upright and doing what's right and working hard and the, the great uh, benefits that come with walking true to the, with the Lord and, and walking in accordance to his statutes. And so, so blessed by all these Proverbs. So I want to start in verse 1 with women. The wise woman builds her house but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. So women, God's speaking to you today. It doesn't mean that God isn't calling men to build their, his house or their house and all of that, but this is talking about women. And I, I just think of the influence that women have over the home. And I remember growing up, because my, my, I grew up in a single mom. My mom was a um, was a widow, a double widow actually, and so I was raised by a single mom, and she didn't know the Lord up until right before she passed away, and as a young boy, I didn't have any good role models of what it looked like to live a godly life. I didn't have anyone until my sisters received Christ and started modeling that. I didn't have any standard of comparison. I didn't have anybody to look to. I didn't have a house that was godly. The house wasn't a refuge it wasn't a place where, uh, there, you know, the, the, the temptations of the world could not penetrate those walls. It was very much a place where it was just so much like uh, the world. And, I, and I've often thought back since coming to know Christ how my life would have been different if I would have had a house that had been built by a wise, godly woman. And so women, you have that opportunity to do that, to make an influence for good in your homes, not just for your children but in your husband's life and or those that come into your home that you have relationships with you have great a great great capacity to influence for good but you also like it says in the last part of the verse you have a great capacity to wreak havoc and to not have the home be what God has called it to be I kind of get the sense when it says pulls it down with her hands It kind of speaks to me about self-effort and um, things that are being, decisions that are being made and things that are being done that may be contrary to how God would want her to do it. And, you know, all of us can do things in the flesh. We can do things according to our sinful nature. We can do things in our own wisdom and not seek him, all of that. And so it's an important reminder for 
you women, to be led by the Holy Spirit, to not pull it down, to not contribute to things uh, in the home that might not make it the place that God's called it to be, which goes back to your walk with God, just like it is for the men, just like it is for everybody. You're just like your, your ministries are never going to rise above your own personal devotional life. Your homes aren't going to rise above uh, our own personal walk with Christ. And so that's where it all starts. It starts having that quiet time. It starts having that time with him every day. It, it has to do with being in submission to, to uh, your husband or to, for sure, through him and through others, just the plan that God has for your life and being led by the Holy Spirit. And going according to his word and what his word says, very important for us. And it's, but it's an exhortation for all of us, obviously, for us to be submitted to him and his ways and do things according to his wisdom. There's an earthly wisdom and there's wisdom from above. And we have so much wisdom that's been entrusted to us through his word and through godly people that God's placed in our lives for us to not have to make mistakes that other people make because we are living in accordance with his word. Verse 2, he who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is perverse in his ways despises him. See, we've seen this contrast, and we've seen God talk about uprightness and the wicked, or the righteous and the wicked. He's going to continue to do it through this, all through this, this chapter. We're going to see it over and over in the book of Proverbs as we continue through the book. So it's important for us to see that uprightness comes from a fear of the Lord. What's the fear of the Lord? Is it, it's a reverence. It's a holy reverence for God. And so we, that's, the, that's the, the, the posture that we should have related to our walk with him is I fear him. I reverence him. He cares about what I do and what I say and my motivation and all those things. And he wants me to, to walk uprightly before him. And what's interesting is that there's a lot of people that say, I love God. Oh, yes, I'm into him. I, I'm, I'm me and the man upstairs. You know, we're, we're good, me and the man upstairs and everything. But yet they're perverse in everything that they do. So, it, it, again, talk. Anyone can say anything. But really, you can say you love God, but yet you're living in a way that's completely opposite of what his word says to live. And the, and the true motivation of your hearts revealed by your actions and demonstrates that you really despise him. You know, Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. He didn't say, if you love me, just tell me you love me and that's all that's required. He says, no, if you love me, obey my commandments. We have to demonstrate our love by how we live for him. Verse three, in the mouth of a fool is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. Now, this word rod here in the Hebrew, it's a very rare Hebrew word. And it's like the word for a shoot, like a plant that has a little shoot coming out of it. And, and he's saying here, in the mouth of a fool is a rod of pride. It's, it's, it's a foolish person is prideful. A foolish person that's not submitted to God is prideful and is full of themselves. And so that's what we see. That's what comes out of their mouth is these things that reveal that they lift themselves up or see themselves above other people but that's not the case with those uh, that are wise it says the lips of the wise will preserve them because they're not saying things that are destructive they're not saying things that tear people down and all of that verse four where no oxen are the trough is clean but much increase comes by the strength of an ox 
Now, that may seem a little obvious here. Well, you know, that's true. There's less of a mess <laughs> in the area where... Uh, if there's supposed to be an ox in there, and that's how many people back then, and even in many parts of the, the world today, that was the, one of their main tools for farming. And so he's saying here that if the trough is clean, there's no oxen. And, and the value there the farmer has on oxen is great. And, and some t- t- people have kind of compared this with ministry and how, you know, ministry can be messy and, and everything. And if, you know, some people are so concerned about making a mistake in ministry where they don't want anything to get messy whatsoever at all costs, but yet you have to have certain kind of messes for fruitful ministry to, to, to happen. I don't know if that's a proper application of this, but I just know that sometimes what's required to be prosperous in life is going to create a mess. But at the same time, we have to value those things because those how, that's how things get done sometimes. Life isn't super tidy all the time. Sometimes things get messy. And I know for sure ministry gets messy at times. But we have to recognize that it, there's, there's great strength. He says the word increase there at the, at the last part of verse 4. But much increase comes by the strength of an ox. So whatever, whatever it is that we are in the middle of and what we're doing and what we, he has us putting our hands to to, ble- to bless us, to provide for us and all those things, it's not always going to be pretty. But it's going to be worth it if we're being led by him and doing the things that he's called us to do. Now, this isn't a defense against having a messy room if you're a teenager. You know, that's, that's, not, that, that's not applicable here. We know that. Okay, verse 5. A faithful witness does not lie but a false witness will utter lies. And this, again, he's going to talk about this a little bit further in the chapter as well, where he's going to talk about a, a witness and all of that. This is talking about a legal situation in a courtroom or in, a, in an official uh, hearing or anything like that. That's what he's talking about. But we're witnesses. We're witnesses of him. We testify of him and all of that. We're his disciples. We're called to be faithful and to tell the truth and to be honest. And not be uh, a false witness. You remember they gathered a lot of false witnesses against the Lord Jesus. And they uttered a lot of lies about him. And, they, and you know, he said in his public ministry, he said, which of you convicts me of sin? And there was silence then, there's silence today related to that. Because he did not sin. He did, there's nothing they could actually say that was true about him that was bad. Because obviously he was sinless and all of that. So truth should be should be a marker of our lives. People should know us as people that are honest and truthful and speak the truth in love. And sometimes when it comes to, you know, sometimes we can't say anything at all. And we say that to our kids. If you can't say anything good, don't say anything at all. There's many times where we should hold our tongue. It's not our place to say anything at the, at the moment because we'd say something that's true, but it's not something that would be helpful in the situation or that God would be leading us to say that in the situation. So we just hold our peace and and, and, and wait until further instructions from, from the Lord. Verse 6, A scoffer seeks wisdom and does not find it, but knowledge is easy to him who understands. So these scoffers, it's really the scoffers related to the Lord. And scoffers, uh, they seek wisdom and they don't find it because they're not recognizing the one from whom it originates. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
So there's so many brilliant people, smart people, geniuses out there. They seek after wisdom, but yet they're rejecting the one that is the source of all wisdom. So, of course, those things are true. But knowledge is easy to him who understands. So when you have the knowledge of the Lord, you have the wisdom of the Lord, all these things. We, it's so funny because, because, especially if you walk with the Lord for a while, it's really easy to get used to just flowing in this information related to scripture and all of that so matter-of-factly, and we forget that we're just talking about things that are hidden from the world and that are eternal things, that are supernatural things, that are amazing things, and if you look at them and analyze them, they're just priceless pieces of information, and we're just talking about them nonchalantly and just as if it's just common knowledge, and it's not. It's such valuable revelation from God. That's something to be thankful for. So his knowledge, it's, it's, it's easy for us in the sense of understanding because we have the Holy Spirit. You know, in other parts of Scripture, it says that the, that the unrighteous or the people that don't know Christ, they can't properly discern God's word because those things need to be spiritually discerned. They can't make sense of it. And so we have the capacity to understand God's revelation. Verse 7. Go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. It's interesting when someone speaks something and it's completely contrary to God's word and you're grounded in God's word, it seems, it's so easy for us in our hearts and our minds to see this person and have lose respect or to, to realize that they're not as smart as they think they are and all of that. And there's one, it's one thing to be able to be available for people that don't know Christ and you're there and you're available to preach the gospel, to tell them the truth, to lead them in the right path. All of that's one thing. But to have people cons- consistently in our lives and, and they have a place of influence in our lives and we're letting them deposit this information to us that's contrary to scripture, he's saying don't do that. Go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. Be careful who you allow to influence your life. And it could be, it doesn't have to be a real person in your presence. It could be a TV program or it could be something on the radio or something that you read. Influences are just that. They're influences. They influence us. So we have to be careful what and who we allow into our lives related to allowing people to have influence uh, in our lives in that way. Verse 8. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. We have this capacity as, as God's people, as his disciples, to be able to understand all the things that he's called us to do and to be able to walk in that wisdom all the time. It's beautiful. We don't have to be kind of groping around life and, and reaching for understanding of how we should live our lives we have it revealed in his word all we have to do is be able to assimilate it into our lives and act upon it and watch what he does but the folly of fools is deceit they deceive all day long we don't have to deceive to get anything in life there's no shortcuts god doesn't need us to walk in doing these shortcut things that are contrary to his word to get his will done to 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 have a blind eye towards certain behaviors or to compromise in certain ways. He doesn't need that in our lives to work in our lives. 
He, he, all he needs is for us to walk uprightly before him, and he'll take care of the rest. Verse 9. Fools mock at sin. And that's just, we should just stop there in the middle of the verse. Because that's our world, isn't it? Fools mock sin. They mock that it even exists. They mock that someone else should have a say in how they live. They mock related to the consequences of sin. They, and I don't mean just eternally, which they have huge implications, but even in their own lives in this life, they have huge implications, and they mock at all of that. When you see someone mocking at sin, recognize that God's calling them a fool. God has the right to call people whatever he wants to call people. He's God. But now he continues, but among the upright, there is favor. Did you know that you are highly favored by the Lord? He doesn't show any favoritism, so he favors us all equally. But we have incredible favor from him. It's good to be reminded of that, I think. It's good to be reminded that we are highly favored. I try to tell my kids that regularly. You are highly favored because you're a child of the king. Your citizenship is in heaven, we're told. You've, given, you've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. You're a co-heir with Christ. God is for you. Who can be against you? Who can separate you from the love of Christ? Your name's written in the book of life. He's called you out of this world into his marvelous light. Now you have fellowship with him. You can come boldly into the throne room of grace and come to him with your needs. You are highly, highly favored. So if that's true, do we believe it? Do we believe that we're highly favored? Do we live like we are highly favored? It's a searching question for all of us. God wants us to live as if we are highly favored because we are. There's a way to live according to how he reveals him, how he reveals who we are in, in the scriptures, and there's a way to live that is just according to how we feel or think about ourselves apart from the scriptures. And God is always trying to increase our confidence in the way we live related to how we live up to what his word says we are. And that's the challenge. That's the promised land. That's the Christian promised land. Not heaven. That's, we're on our way there for sure. But the Christian promised land is believing and walking in God's promises in his word. To be walking as more than conquerors in Christ. We are, we are highly favored because he has made us upright because of Christ in our lives. Verse 10. The heart knows its own bitterness and a stranger does not share its joy. It's interesting. This, this kind of speaks to how we can't fully know what's going on in someone else's life. You know, sometimes we'll say to somebody that's gone through something where we've gone through something similar to that, and we'll say, I know how you feel or whatever. You know, let's just say someone loses a child and we've lost a child. I still think we don't we shouldn't be saying, I know how you feel and all that. Because even though it's similar, very similar, there's still great differences between their person's circumstances and our circumstances. The heart knows its own bitterness and a stranger does not share its joy. We have to recognize that we don't know fully what people go through. We have to recognize that. One of the most powerful things I was told to say in situations like this is to say the exact opposite, to say, I can't imagine what you're going through. 
That's the healthiest thing you can say to somebody going through something difficult because we truly don't know what it's like to go through what they're going through at this time in their life with their specific circumstances. And it's good for us to recognize that we just need to be there, have our presence there to encourage them and to love them and be quiet and be available for anything that they might need us for. Verse 11, the house of the wicked will be overthrown, but the tent of the upright will flourish. Now there's two dwelling places in, in the verse. Did you see there's two of them? One is a house, and the second one is a tent. What's more permanent? A house is way more permanent than a tent. What he's saying here, he's contrasting here the wicked with the upright, and he's saying the house, the more permanent thing of the wicked, even though it's more permanent, will be overthrown. But the tent, though that, that which is not as permanent, temporary, inferior, many would say, of the upright will flourish. What matters is that we have to be right before God and doing the right things and being who we're called to be. And all of this kind of speaks to security. And in our day, security usually is measured by how much money you have or your assets or the the things that you have that are monetary in this world. It didn't used to be that way. It used to be where people would look at your character. And that would be the thing that you would be able to say, that's what's going to establish me and keep me established is my character. But now it's gone completely the other direction to just money. And it's saying here, we have to be upright. Even if we have a, an inferior structure, so to speak, then the wicked, we're going to flourish because we're the upright versus the wicked. They will be overthrown. Verse 12, very famous verse. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And another word you could use for the word way there in verse 12 is the word path. And there's always, our decisions put us on a path. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the path, right? We're following him. When he said, come and follow me, when we receive Christ, we went his direction and we've been following ever since. I just shared on social media yesterday about this month is 27 years for me of walking with Christ. And when he said, follow me, I've been following him wherever he's led ever since. And I don't regret a day of this amazing Christian abundant life. I don't regret one day of it. But there is a way, a path that seems, notice the word seems there. What is, how, do, how, do seem, how does seems happen? Seems happens through our emotions and our thinking and our, our, our natural uh, um, intuition that we have as humans in our fallen condition. There's a way that seems, and you could use the word correct there, to a man instead of right. There's, there's a way that seems right, and it, and it seems very strong, this impression that's there. But notice God speaks the truth there with the word end. And that's what we should be focused on, thinking about whatever path that we're on. Where does it end? Where does it lead to? What, and the wise thing to do, especially if you're younger, is to look at people that are on the same path that you want to be on and, and look 20, 30, 40 years ahead and see where that leads. Because it does end somewhere. It leads somewhere. There's an end to it. So apart from Christ... There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end, is, is, the end of that way is death, leads to destruction. That's why I'm so thankful for his word, because he has placed my life and, 
every one of you that are disciples of his on the right path. Now remember in Romans chapter 12, when he talks about that we should be living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to him, he says, then you will prove that perfect and acceptable will of God. And it's talking about you will live out your, a life that is so amazing that lines up with scripture that it'll validate that scripture is what it is because wisdom is justified by your children. The effect or the result or the, the, the fruit of those that live according to God's wisdom live lives that are different, amazing, abundant, and prosperous. That's just how, just how it is. And so he wants us to recognize that that's how we should live according to his way, his path. Verse 13, even in laughter the heart may sorrow and the end of mirth may be grief. So I think this proverb teaches us to not be surprised by the, the, the complexity and the fluctuations of our emotions when we're going through things. I think when you're younger, you go through things and you have pure emotions and situations that are just kind of one way or the other. But the more you get to know people, the more you go through life, the more you experience some things, the more you suffer the more uh, you engage with people related to their issues and their problems and you try to help them and serve them, the more you weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn, the more you can see that it's not just some, uh, every circumstance is, is multifaceted. It's not just one thing that you're experiencing when you go through a situation. If you're experiencing mourning at the same time you're experiencing joy or you're experiencing something and you're being able to laugh in a moment, but there's still sorrow related to it from one aspect of it. That's what he's saying. He's saying that there, there can be a multitude of different emotions all wrapped up into one situation and we shouldn't be stumbled by it. God recognizes it. He reveals that that's the case. Verse 14. The backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways but a good man will be satisfied from above. Let's talk about backsliding for a moment. What is backsliding? Backsliding is turning away from God. It's turning away from your relationship with him. Because really, we're either going forward or we're going backwards, generally speaking. And God wants us to continue to go forward and continue to grow. And one of the things that I've noted in the past, and it's, it's not original. That's why it's good. I told you anything good is not original. Um, but it, the case is we can't decide ourselves how much we're going to grow. He hasn't left that up to us. He hasn't said, you know, just decide how mature you want to be as a Christian and then go ahead and be that way and stay that way and you're fine. He doesn't ever say that to us. He says, take up your cross daily and follow me. And what that translates into is different types of stretching. Different types of growing in our faith, which comes through suffering, which comes through going through trials and all the things that unfortunately are not said enough in churches today. But if you're going through God's word, you can't avoid it because he loves us too much to not tell us at a time. He wants us to know that. He wants us to know there's difficulty. There's, he wants us to know that there's hard things in life. So we're, we're supposed to recognize that there's a way to follow after God and there's a way to neglect our faith. Listen, neglect our faith. That's usually how it starts. We neglect our faith and then we start backsliding in our hearts first. Usually when you see someone disappear, 
and they're in a life of willful disobedience, that didn't just happen overnight. They had been backslidden in their heart for a long time before that actually manifested itself outwardly. They neglected their faith, then they allowed that unbelief to come in, they allowed that sin to have a root, and then before you know it, then they just stop going through the motions. Because before that, usually they go through the motions, and outwardly everything still looks great, and from our perspective, and then all of a sudden, boom, they're gone, and they're completely living a different kind of life. It happens incrementally. We have, that's why we have to be careful about that heart condition any given moment, any given day, any given week. But backsliders are filled with their own ways, like it says in the middle of the verse there. That's the whole point of when Paul wrote to Timothy and said, in the last days, men will be lovers of themselves. That's why there's so many sermons out there that are man-centered and man-focused about getting what I want, getting what I want in my life, and using the Bible as a self-help mechanism to get these things that my flesh wants. Not scriptural, not biblical. You'll never hear it from this pulpit. And, and so that's, that's what backsliding is all about, is filled with my own ways of, of living for self. I love the fact that there's a magazine called Self. Of course. Not surprising. I'm waiting for it to be called another one, Sinful Self. I doubt that I'm going to see that, but uh, Amazing. But last part of the verse, it says, but a good man will be satisfied from above. It's a good searching question. What brings you satisfaction? What satisfies you in this life? When you're satisfied, what is it that does it? For me, it could be dessert. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Don't laugh so fast. No, but what's the, what brings you satis- satisfaction? God wants us to be satisfied from the things that are from him. He said, every good and perfect gift is from above. The things that only, do you recognize that the things that are in your life that are blessings are directly from God himself to you? That's the truth. That's the truth. He loves to give. He loves to bless. God wants your satisfaction to come from him. He wants your joy to come from him. He wants you to be blessed because you're right with him and you're enjoying the things. This life is supposed to be enjoyed. As wicked as our hearts are apart from him, as bad as this world is, Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Think about that. I have overcome the world. How did he overcome the world? He didn't let this world affect anything that he did at all. He lived above what the world was trying to pull him down into. And that's what he's called us to be. We don't have to live reactionary in this, in this world and, and, and be, have a victim mentality. We can walk as more than conquerors every single day by walking in his power and his grace and feeding upon him as a disciple. Those disciples never thought in a million years they'd end up where they ended up. They didn't have a five-year plan and a 10-year plan and a 15-year plan. They had, today, Jesus, you know, give me my daily bread Lead me, don't lead me into temptation today. You know, the the Lord's Prayer and just seeking Him every day and seeing what happens as they're led by the Lord on that given day. You know, Philip was led to go to the desert in the book of Acts. He was having great success in Samaria. It would have made no sense to anybody at that time for him to say, you know, I'm having great success, people are growing and all that, 
but God's called me to the desert. He hasn't told me what I'm going to do. doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But, and he didn't have that in his day planner that day, I guarantee it. But he went there and he saw the Ethiopian eunuch there and was able to preach the gospel. And he was saved, he was baptized, and then God translated Philip in the spirit. And he ended up finishing up his life in Caesarea, having daughters that are prophetesses. Caesarea is a beautiful place. I mean, he didn't have any idea what God was going to lead him to do, but it was all good. And he satisfied him in, in beyond his wildest dreams from all the things that, are, that come from God. Verse 15. The simple believes every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. So he's speaking to a gullibility here. There are people that believe everything, that's, they're, everything that they're told. I think there's a part of each one of us that can be like this at times. But he's saying, they, don't be like that. Don't, the prudent considers well his steps. And I said this a week or two ago, and it's true. Be careful about decisions. Pray about those things. Fast. Seek wise counsel. Don't rush into decisions. I've seen in my own life, and I've seen in many other people's lives, almost 30 years of walking with the Lord, mistakes because people rush into decisions. If God is leading you to do something, he's going to make it clear to where if you don't do it, it's going to be disobedience. It has to get to that point. And he's very capable of getting through to us. He doesn't struggle in the Bible at all, anywhere, getting through to somebody when he wants to get a message to him. Have you seen God struggle with getting a message to somebody in the Bible? I've not, I haven't seen it. If he wants to get through to us, he will get through to us. Verse 16. A wise man fears and departs from evil, but a fool rages and is self-confident. Do we fear evil? Do we fear what it can do to us? Do we fear that we can get swept up into it? We should have a reverence for the temptation and the power of temptation in our lives. We need to not be self-confident. Look at that. That's a pretty powerful statement. A fool rages and is self-confident. It's talking about self-confident against the battle of temptation, thinking that they can handle it. You see over and over in Scripture, Joseph, see him fleeing from Potiphar's wife. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, flee youthful lusts. Not stand up hard against it and prove that you're stronger and all this stuff. It's going to take you out. It's going to take us out. We have to be very, very careful. A wise man fears and departs from evil. We should be growing and growing in holiness all the time. We should be more, as we get closer to the Lord, we should be repenting more, not less. We think, oh, the closer I get to the Lord, the more mature I am, the more I'm going to be, the less I'm going to be repenting. That's not true. The more you repent, the closer you get to the Lord, the more you repent. When you, you, you say, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, or when you have other times in Scripture where there's, they have more access to, to the Lord, they say, like Peter said, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. The closer you get to perfection, the more you see how much you don't measure up to perfection. And so we should be repenting and be more sensitive to sin, more sensitive to those things, not for sure, not going the other direction. Verse 17, a quick-tempered man acts foolishly, and a man of wicked intentions is hated. So it's a warning against being quick-tempered. 
I'm so glad that none of us in this room have a problem with having a, a short fuse. I'm glad that that's, that's talking to, you know, another Calvary Chapel. Another, another, no, of course, we all deal with that. We all deal with that. We have to be very careful. You know where, where being quick-tempered is dealt with is in the devotions, but also as you walk in the Spirit and you're thinking about the Lord, you're talking to Him throughout the day, like Paul said, to pray without ceasing. And when you sense that anger rising up in you, you ask the Lord in that moment, help me, God. Help me to not be angry right now. Help me. They're talking to people. I've talked to people after the service, and they're wanting to come to me for prayer or something, and they're saying something, and I'm, I'm trying to focus on what they're saying, but I'm thinking about something that made me mad two days ago, and I'm still fuming over it. And I'm trying to force that out of my mind and my heart at the moment so I can focus on what this person needs. I mean, all of us struggle with it. So we just have to be careful because the, 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 the anger of man and the rage of man does not produce the righteousness of God at all. The wrath of man. We have to be careful and watch out against that. And the wicked, wicked man is, is hated. Because it's revealed that he is who he is. Verse 18, the simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. The evil will bow before the good and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. Now back in those days, and many times in our day, you have the inferior bowing to the superior. I'm not going to talk about former presidents and bowing and all. I'm not going not to even go there. I, I'm tempted to, but I'm not. But you have, that's just how it is. And, and you bow to the superior. And when it talks about gates here, you would go to the gates, someone's uh, palace or whatever, and you would wait there until they would, and it's a big humbling experience. Where they're coming out to you and you're asking them for some kind of help. It's an it's a, it's a expression of humility and that this person is in a position to help you. And you're humbling yourself. And he's saying that evil will bow before the good. We're the good. We're the good because Jesus has made us who he's made us. The wicked at the gates of the righteous. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow. And hopefully it's before, I mean, people, more people will bow now instead of having to bow then where it's too late. Where Instead of facing him as their savior, they're facing him as their judge. Every knee will bow. Don't get discouraged about the news and how wicked things are and all of that. Good's going to win in the end. There will be recompense. There will be justice meted out. We can be sure of that. All of this stuff is going to, to an end. There is going to be a one world government. There is going to be God pouring out his wrath on this world. There is going to be a seven year tribulation. There's going to be an antichrist. There's going to be all these things that are coming, but we're on the right side of truth. We're on the right side of truth. God wants us to be reassured of that. Verse 20, the poor man is hated even by his own neighbor, but the rich has many friends. And I love how honest the Bible is related to life and how situations really are. And I, we have to watch out against this. 
This is not what God would want. And it's bad enough that a poor person has to deal with what they have to deal with, but then they have hatred from other people, including even their own neighbor. But what, for us, we have to be careful to not show favoritism. James talks about this, the Lord's half-brother. He said, don't be impressed when someone that's wealthy comes in among you and, oh, sit here and you give them the special treatment and all that. That's how the world works. That's not how God works. God works differently. He sees everybody the same. He loves everybody equally. And we have to be very careful to treat people the right way, regardless of what their, their status is or their wealth or whatever. Verse 21, he who, he who despises his neighbor sins, but he who has mercy on the poor, happy is he. So we have to, we're called to be merciful with the poor. And be at peace with our neighbor and all of those things. Do, not, do they not go astray who devise evil, but mercy and truth belong to those who devise good. And that's true. They go astray who devise evil, but mercy and truth belong to those who devise good. God wants us to devise good good things. He wants us to make have plans that are good, to think up ways to do good. We're told in Scripture to do good to those, especially those who are in the household of faith, to be sensitive to our needs that we're going through and the, the, the things that we could be praying for people about and all of that. We need to be very sensitive to that. Verse 23, In all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. And what this proverb is telling us is that a, hard, you know, a good work ethic results in profit, but talking about work doesn't. Just talking about work. You ever met people like that? They talk a lot about doing work. They talk a lot about uh, or work around a person that's like this where they talk like they're great workers and everything, but yet they don't work. And they actually don't find a way to do the things that they're supposed to do and all of that. And he's saying it just leads to, to poverty. We have to raise our kids to be hard workers, to have them recognize the value of hard work. Because just talking about it and fantasizing about it and dreaming and all those things are not going to... You're not going to make us uh, free of poverty. Those things have to be done by hard work. Verse 24, the crown of the wise is their riches, but the foolishness of fools is folly. Say that fast. Foolishness of fools is folly. Foolishness of fools is folly. It's hard to say. But it's true. The crown is, the crown is something that people see outwardly. Crown of the wise is their riches, but the foolishness of fools is folly because they're lazy and they don't want to do the things that they're supposed to do. They don't want to obey what God's told them to do. They don't want to work hard. They don't want to do the things that are laid out before them and all of that. And it's just pure foolishness and folly. Verse 25, a true witness delivers souls, but a deceitful witness speaks lies. Again, this goes back to the courtroom. This goes back to being a true witness of him and, uh, and all of that, when we're called, if we're ever testified to do jury duty or testify in a court of law, we need to be 100% truthful and not deceitful whatsoever. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. Again, he's talking about the fear and reverence of the Lord. There, there's a confidence that comes as a result of that, because we're doing the right things. 
We're honoring the Lord with our actions. We're honoring him with everything. And and there's an implication to that or a result of that. And that's the last part of verse 26. And his children will have a place of refuge. It's beautiful. And the Lord enjoys the fact that we have, those of us that are walking with with the Lord and being obedient to him and all of that, he loves the fact that we have created a place that's a safe place for our children to be raised. It blesses him. He talks so much about children in the Gospels and how he doesn't want them stumbled and how he wants them to be raised in the things of him and doesn't want anyone to keep them from him. He wants direct access to children and all of that. He wants them blessed and everything. And as we're true to him and we have the fear of the Lord and we have this confidence before him that we're right with him and everything, that our children will have a place of refuge and it's beautiful. If you're doing that, you're being faithful, keep going, keep doing it. Keep making that home a place of refuge for your children and some of you for your grandchildren. They'll see a difference. There'll be other people that they'll be around and they'll see that peace. They'll know that my grandparents love me and they have a home that's different than all my other friends' grandparents and they will remember and they'll know that that is a result of the Lord in your life. Verse 27 the fear of the Lord is a foundation, a fountain rather, of life to turn one away from the snares of death. So just the ways of the Lord are going to deliver us from death. Verse 28, in a multitude of people is a king's honor, but in the lack of people is the downfall of a prince. See, a prince or a king, they need people to rule. And if the people are not with the king or the prince, then they're not going to be successful in their kingdom because the people won't be submitted to their authority. And that's, that's true. We see that over and over again. Rehoboam, Solomon's son, saw that when he was burdensome on them, on them and didn't take the counsel of, of the elders and all of that, and he made bad decisions. He lost the hearts of the people, and 10 out of the 12 tribes left. He learned this lesson uh, firsthand. He should have um, listened to what his dad said in verse 28. Verse 29, he who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. Again, slow to wrath has great understanding. To wait, to wait before we react, to ask the Lord for strength and perspective and power in that moment, to not react in a way that's not pleasing to him, and to wait and to see how he can give us that strength and that that power to be appropriate in the situation. But if we're not, we're impulsive, we just we're just exalting folly. Verse 30. A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. You know, in recent years they've had more and more studies done related to our emotions and things that go on in our minds and our hearts and all of that and how that has a direct effect on our bodies and our physical health glad they're catching up with the scriptures uh, because the scriptures have said that all along this a sound heart or a healthy heart is life to the body it affects our physical bodies how our hearts are but envy is rottenness to the bones envy is seeing what someone else has and wanting that for ourselves. In other words, we're coveting or we're desiring something and we, we don't like the fact that they have that and they're enjoying it and all of that. That affects, if we have a bad heart that way, that affects our health. It's going to affect our health. 
We're supposed to guard our hearts because from them flow the issues of life, the scripture talks about. Verse 31, he who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who honors him has mercy on the needy. How is our attitude towards the poor? It's a good searching question. You know, my story is a little bit, um, well, it's, it's not embarrassing, but it's just being honest, is that I had a bad attitude towards the poor, you know, maybe 18 years ago, somewhere in there, 15 years ago, and the Lord had to deal with me severely. And so often it, it has to do with, with people, especially it did with me, where I was so irresponsible when I was young, and he worked for so long to get me to be responsible, then my attitude towards the, those that were struggling, my heart wasn't right towards them. And I assumed that it was, you know, it was based all on their own decisions, and there was no compassion and all of that. He convicted me and all of that, and, and I'm thankful for it. But he wants us to have... Um, He wants us to have the recognition that when we oppress the poor, we have a bad attitude towards the poor, we're having a bad attitude towards their maker, which is God. God closely associates with the poor. He has a deep, deep heart for them. But he who honors God has mercy on the needy. We need to have great mercy on those that are in need. Verse 32, the wicked is banished in his wickedness, but the righteous has a refuge in his death so the death for the wicked is a tragic day but for the righteous we graduate we go on to the next life we get our rewards and all those things it's beautiful promise wisdom rests in the heart of him who has understanding but what is in the heart of fools is made known so someone that's wise he has this repository of wisdom that's just there at any time when he needs it but fools they reveal from their own mouths that they're fools because of what they say and the choices that they make. And it's made known. Verse 34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. That's a famous verse. In righteousness, we're not being exalted right now. We're not, because we're, righteousness is, 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 is ebbing, you know, and the, the, the standards in this country are going down and down and down and the laws that are being passed and all this stuff, all these things that, grieve God and he sees all of it we need to repent as a nation and come back to him because we are reproach means shame basically we're full of shame because of the sin that's going on in our country and God hates it lastly verse 35 the king's favor is toward a wise servant but his wrath is against him who causes shame and this has to do with counsel a king entrusts servants to have counsel for them but when they make bad decisions they bring shame to the kingdom the king's kingdom and all of that and the wrath comes we see that over and over from scripture so we have to be good counselors we have to be good servants those that are in authority over us we need to let righteousness come forth from our lives and speak the truth and be good workers and to be good counselors and you know with those that are in authority so that's all we have time for today. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this chapter. We want to continue to be the upright, Lord. We want to continue to be those that are right with you and live differently. Help all of us, Father, to, to bless you by blessing this world and being available to, to, 
to bless those that you put before us, Lord. We want to grow in holiness. We pray, Lord, you'd help each one of us grow in our relationship with you and let you bear fruit through our lives. Thank you that we have your word, Lord. Give us a supernatural appetite and hunger for your word. And I pray, Father, that you would help us find new ways to love one another, to be there for one another. Thank you for putting us together. Thank you for making us a great family. Help us to glorify you collectively and individually. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.